You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Thank you, David. Appreciate you so much. Uh, Welcome. Good morning. Glad you're here at Redeemer. For those of you who are here uh, in person, welcome. For those of you joining us online, we're so excited that you're joining us as well. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Eight. Uh, we're starting the year off this year like we do every year, just as a reminder of who we are and what we're doing. Uh, and we really kind of segment that out in three different topics that we constantly look at and we will for the next 50 years. Uh, community, gospel, and mission. We talk about community and we remind ourselves every year just how important it is that uh, we realize that we are a family, uh, a community of people, that God has given us some relationships and the gospel changes uh, those relationships. Uh, we talk about the gospel. We talk about the gospel a lot. That's kind of what we talk about. That's kind of who we are. We're gospel people. Uh, We talk about every year what does it mean to be gospel-centered, to have everything about our identity and therefore our activity centered around uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Um, But we also talk a lot about mission, and that's what we're going to talk about um, this morning, is that uh, we're not just a people that Jesus has uh, saved and changed and then just left us here uh, to twiddle our thumbs and wait for his return. We've actually been given a pretty out mission that we are supposed to actively be involved in trying to accomplish, uh, and we can never be reminded of that too often. So today, uh, we're landing on a text that is probably uh, very well known to you. We call it the Great Commission. Uh, It is the mission of the church, and I bet I have preached this text probably 50 times, maybe more in my life. And every time I open up and every time I look at it, I get something different, something new. It's just, it, it, like, it's this mission that's been given to the, the biggest organization the planet has ever seen, the Church of Jesus Christ. It is so grand. It is so glorious. It is so big. It is so unique uh, that we can look at it at once a year for the next uh, 2,000 years and not exhaust it. Um, so that's where we're going uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 28, the very last few verses. Uh, of that uh, chapter. It's the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew. It's uh, verses 18 through 20. Uh, But before we get there, it's helpful, especially with verses like this that we're very well acquainted with and we've heard potentially many, many times. Uh, It's important that we sometimes uh, change things up and shake things up a little bit and try to get our our, our brains and our imaginations uh, into the place where these things were first spoken. Uh, because we can be so familiar with something that we kind of sometimes lose some of the uh, the punch. Uh, so just for a few minutes, let's imagine ourselves um, that we're not here. We're not in 2020. What year is this? 2022? Good grief. Time is flying. Uh, imagine for just a minute that you were living in Israel and you were a, one of the very first Christians. Uh, you weren't one of the 12 disciples, um, but maybe you were friends with one of them and you're just going about your business, working your job, living your life, and one of your friends comes and he says, hey, I've got this guy. Uh, he's a rabbi. He's, uh, he, he's unlike anything you've ever seen or heard, his teachings, his life, what he's saying. Uh, you need to come uh, hear Jesus teach. 
your friend invites you and you show up one day, uh, Jesus is teaching out uh, side of town on the side of a mountain and you listen to him and you hear him teach uh, like nobody you've ever heard teach. Uh, he talks with clarity, uh, with authority. He's talking about God as if he came down from heaven and actually says that. Uh, he talks about uh, judgment. He talks about grace, about mercy. Uh, he talks about faith. He talks about repentance. Uh, he's just presenting this kingdom of God and the way that we're invited to enter into the kingdom like you've never seen in his life. He's so uh, joyful. Uh, his life is almost like the epitome of what you want. And you're just so drawn into his message. And uh, over time, you uh, begin to realize, like, I-, I believe what he's saying. I actually believe that, uh, a G- that, that he's this Savior, that he has come to show us the way to God. And so uh, you confess your sin, you put your faith in him, and you just kind of start to follow him around. Every time that you hear he's close to your hometown, uh, you show up, uh, you start reading the Old Testament, you start trying to find other people that would say that they're following this rabbi too. Uh, they would say that they're followers of Jesus, or maybe throw out the term uh, disciples of Jesus. And so you're learning together, you're growing together, you're listening to what he's saying, trying to believe it, trying to uh, embrace it, trying to live it out. And then over a little bit of time, a few months, things start getting a little crazy, a little uh, tense, uh, because Jesus starts uh, ratcheting up uh, his message and what he is saying. And so now everybody in town's not pumped about Jesus. A lot of people begin to hate him. Uh, they begin to hate what he stands for and what he is saying, uh, mainly because uh, the religious elites that were in power, he begins to push them uh, a little bit and to say that uh, maybe they had missed the mark and, and they needed to confess their sin and repent. And uh, all of a sudden, he's got some pretty intense conflict uh, around him and his message, and it wasn't because he was a, a good person. Uh, the conflict wasn't because he was feeding the poor. It wasn't because he was taking care of those who were uh, on the outside. The, the, the conflict was because of the message that he was preaching. And then all of a sudden, you realize things have escalated so quickly. Your friend comes to tell you, hey, I know that you say you're a follower of Jesus. You're one of his disciples. Uh, we just heard that he was arrested. And so you're, you're just a little confused because of the things that he has told you. So you start um, to meet with a few people, and you realize that uh, this thing is escalating incredibly quickly because you hear all of a sudden uh, they're, they're marching him outside of town, out by the trash dump, out where they uh, crucify all the criminals, and they're crucifying Jesus. And so you make your way out there. Uh, maybe you get out there with a few of your friends just in time to witness the last few moments of Jesus on the cross, the last few uh, breaths that he had, and he's saying some things. He's talking to some people. Uh, you know the two criminals next to him. You've heard what they've done, and he's conversing with one of them, and he says something to the effect of, uh, today, me and you, we're going to be in paradise together. And then you hear him pray. He's praying to his father. He says, Father, uh, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then you watch the man who you thought was the greatest man ever lived, the greatest teacher, had done more things than uh, one life should contain, and he's dead. He dies, they take him off the cross, they put him in a grave, you go, you visit, you get as close as you can with the Roman guards, uh, and you just, you remember that you're just so confused, and and there's this air of confusion around all of the disciples, because um, you're asking the question, was he a fraud, was he a fake, Uh, was he actually who he says he was, I thought he was going to be the king, and now he's dead, and so for three days, uh, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of hope, a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of uh, small 
meetings with whispers and gathered under trees, asking some questions, recategorizing some things, trying to, 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 to figure out if he was a fraud and you've been duped or was something else going on. And then maybe you begin to piece together some of the things that he said. He said that he would, uh, they would destroy this temple and I would raise it in three days. And you remember thinking as he was saying that he was, he was pointing to himself. And, and you begin to ask these questions like, was he really talking about his own body being killed and him rising from the dead? And for three days, everybody asked this question. Uh, nobody knows exactly what to do. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes and they're like, you're not going to believe it, but he's alive. And, and you don't even have a category for this. Like, what do you mean he's alive? He can't be alive. He was dead. We saw him. We saw them jab a spear into his side. We saw the blood come out. We saw the pericardium rupture and all the fluid from his heart leak to the ground. We saw his limp body be wrapped in, in, in linens, and we saw him go into the grave. How can he be alive? And then slowly and surely he begins to show himself to people physically. And then all of a sudden, you're invited into this, and you think, man, Jesus, like J- Jesus, who was dead and is, he's back, he's inviting his disciples um, to come talk to him, to listen to him, to touch him, to share a meal with him. And so Jesus spends a few weeks engaging with his disciples, and then all of a sudden, he begins gathering people together, calling his disciples, uh, anybody that says they're a follower of him, he's gathering them together. And so you're like, you're in at this point. You've heard the message. You believe the gospel. Jesus has really proved all of the things he said because he rose from the dead, and he wants to say some things to his disciples, and so you're like, well, this is a meeting that I just can't miss. And you get this feeling that what he says is going to be important because there's just this feeling of this is like this is the climax. He, he's about to say something that we all need to hear. And so everybody gathers together. Jesus is there, still see the holes in his hands. He, he, he's, he's risen from the dead, and he wants to share some things with his disciples. That's the backdrop to the Great Commission. And so just imagine, like you're on the side of the hill with your, your Savior, your Lord, the, the one that you say that you're following, and he's about to give the mission to his disciples, and everybody gathers around, he begins to clear his throat, and everybody gets quiet, because if somebody rises from the dead, you want to know what they have to say. Everybody gets quiet, everybody's leaning in, he starts clearing his throat, and you're wondering, like, what? What is he going to say? Like, of all the things he could say in this climactic moment, what is Jesus going to say? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 28, this is what we have recorded from those that were there that day, um, that were followers of Jesus that heard him give what we call the Great Commission. And Jesus came, verse 18, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to which everybody in the crowd nods. They're like, we believe it. We're absolutely, we believe it. All, you have all the authority in heaven and on earth. You can do whatever you want. You had authority over the waves. You had authority over the storms. You had authority over the demons. And now you even have proved that you have authority over death. Yeah, of course, all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. And then he says, so go, or, or really in the language it was written, he's saying, he says, as you go, as you live your lives, go and make disciples of all nations to his people. He says, I want you to 
to, to go. And as you go, as you move, as you work, as you live your lives, I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, maybe he pointed to himself, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them, these, these disciples, as you're making followers of Jesus, teach them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, and his people decide to get to work. It's just like it's the ultimate mic drop because he he didn't want to leave any question with his church with his disciples about what our mission is supposed to be and what we are supposed to be actively trying to do as Jesus followers and so these people would spend the rest of their life the rest of their generation trying to carry out Jesus's words or what we call his uh, commission and they made pretty incredible progress uh, there were before some of these people that would have heard this. Before their life was over, they had seen this movement of disciples spill way outside of the bounds of Jerusalem and Israel uh, to, to non-Jewish, to Gentile people. People were following Jesus. They were followers or disciples of Jesus. Okay, so some of you, you're new to church, you're new to the Bible. Uh, we call this statement the Great Commission. And that's a pretty accurate way to describe it. It's great, right? Like to, to come up with this plan, like uh, my mission is to push something out to the corners of the earth where every single people group on the planet is going to be involved in this. Um, the scope of Jesus' mission, it's like great to say the least. He's talking about this, this diverse movement that's going to, to take over the planet. And if you look at the last 2,000 years, Christianity is by far the most diverse of any religious movement. Uh, Hindus are not that diverse. Muslims not that diverse. Judaism not that diverse. Uh, Christianity is just wildly diverse. Uh, and, it, and, and it's a great. It's great. It, the, the scope, is, it's just massive. Uh, it's Jesus' mission that we're involved to join. So we call it a co-mission. We're on mission with Jesus. What's the mission? To make disciples of all nations until Jesus comes back. And so I, I think what I want to do this morning is to, to take this, this commission, these words that Jesus gave uh, his disciples and his church, and, and to look at them in a few ways that really invite us in and help us to see that we have a, a part to play in this. And I think one of, the, one of the things that we need to do first is to separate what what we normally hear when we hear the Great Commission and what the original hearers heard. Because what's most important in trying to understand, like, what in the world is the Great Commission is what Jesus said, what he originally said, and what the original hearers heard. Because what we hear tends to be very different than what they heard. Because sometimes what we hear is we're like, we hear this, you know, some dude's up there and he's preaching and he's telling us we need to make disciples. And when we hear make disciples, sometimes we hear programs. Uh, sometimes we hear complexity. Uh, sometimes we hear just something that is incredibly uh, complicated. And so in the day and age that we live, we're, we're in the church, in the West, uh, a lot of times Christians aren't involved in actually the one thing we're supposed to be involved in because we hear something different, we're intimidated by it, we're like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm just pretty dang sure that I can't do that. 
right? So what I want to do is somewhat kind of lower the bar because I don't think that's what these original hearers heard. When they hear Jesus say, go and make disciples of all nations, they did not think complicated. They did not think formal process. They didn't think classroom. Um, They didn't think conference. Um, They didn't think formula. Uh, They thought very relational, okay? And it was something that all of them knew that they could be involved in. Like what they heard probably was something to the effect of Jesus telling them, hey, I want you all to go out and, and help people follow me. Like that, that's a lot, that, that's simple, right? At work together, help people follow me. And do it by, by, by baptizing them when they become Christians. Do it by teaching them some things, teaching them to uh, observe or to obey some things. Uh, and I'll be with you. And so I want to try to lower the bar because I'll just be super upfront. Spoiler alert. My goal in this is for every Christian to walk away knowing that you have the ability through the Holy Spirit to be involved in the one thing that Jesus has given, the main thing Jesus has given us to do, which is to make disciples or help people follow Jesus. If we're going to be faithful, there's a few things that we need to know as we walk through this. So I want to unpack a few of those for you. If you're ready, say ready. All right, ready or not, here we go. Number one, if we're going to make disciples, uh, it's important that we realize making disciples is the mission of the church. It's, the, it's not a mission of the church. It is the mission of the church. Everything else should point to that. If we do something with women, with women's ministry, with men, with men's ministry, if we do something with kids, if we do something with classes, if we do something for marriage, all of it at the end of the day needs to point back to the thing that Jesus told us to do, which is to go and to make disciples. It is the mission of the church. And and sometimes there's a pull, and the longer a church exists, the more this pull happens. I can already feel it. We've only been around for uh, six years this month as a church. But there's a pull over time for churches um, to, uh, I I don't know how else to say, but to just kind of be busy having programs and then just kind of not make a lot of disciples. Right, because there's this push. We've got to have a program for that, and we've got to have a, a pipeline for that, and we have to have a class for that. And over time, if, if we're honest, we can, we can sometimes step back and be like, man, there's a lot of churches that are lo- really busy with a lot of things, but they're not producing disciples. And so if we miss this, like, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's an understatement that if we miss making disciples, it doesn't matter how busy we are, how fancy we are, how entertaining we are, uh, we just kind of miss everything. Because the mission... I mean, like Jesus summed up the mission of the church and every Christian in three verses. It's so precise. It, there's nothing confusing about it. The mission of the church is to make disciples. That's so important for us to know because over time, uh, we're going to be tempted to make things much more complex and potentially less effective at the main mission that we have. That's number one, making disciples. It is the mission of the church. Some of you, many of you are businessmen, you're businesswomen. You think of things in terms of, of business and organization. And if we put it in that phrase, you could say something to the effect of this. If Jesus was uh, leading this as a business, his, his, his vision is to see people worship and glorify God. That, that's the main goal. 
We, we want Jesus to be elevated and worshiped and glorified. And so his mission statement is how we're going to accomplish that vision. How are we going to do it? Well, we're going to make disciples of all nations. We want people to follow Jesus. Why? Because as people follow Jesus, God through Christ gets more glorified. He gets more glory. And how are we going to do that? Like what's some of the strategy? And Jesus just puts all his chips in on the church, right? So the, the point of all of this is to bring glory to God through worshipers of Jesus. How we do that is largely by making disciples and helping people follow Jesus. Uh, and, and we do that through the church. This is not a solo effort of Christians out there as lone rangers trying to do their thing. This is the work of the church. Jesus came up with the idea. He says, I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I'm going to have one church and I'm going to have one mission. I'm going to link them together. I'm going to turn them loose. We're going to see what happens. He's doing pretty well, right? Number one, making disciples is the mission of the church. Everything we do should support that. I was asked after some time off this fall uh, when I came back, a lot of people said, like, what's the, what's the new vision? What's the new direction? And I'm like, there's not one. <laughs> We're getting back to work in the same thing. What is our vision? We're trying to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. If that changes, uh, you need to find a new church, right? If I come back and I'm like, hey, I got a new mission, you're like, nope. Nope, we're, we're going to stick with the one Jesus gave us. We think it's fine. Let's work until that one's accomplished, right? It is the mission of the church. Second thing we need to know, making disciples is a team sport. We're, we're Americans. We're Texans. Uh, we're Midlanders. We love uh, individualism. There's a lot to be said for that. I don't think uh, the Bible downplays the necessity of understanding ourselves and our individual selves. But when Jesus is trying to make disciples, he realizes that can't be done uh, really outside of relationships and really outside of uh, relationships in, inside of the church. That it takes a village, or in our, in our context, it takes a church to make disciples, I want to read a quote uh, from Ed Stetzer that I've followed for years. He's, he's smart. He's, he's godly. He's planted some churches. He has led uh, a lot of uh, statistics and Christian research and church history uh, efforts. And, and, and he wrote this trying to get us in the mind space of what the original hearers heard, right? If Jesus gave the Great Commission, how did the first people that were on the mountainside that day, how did they hear what he said? How did they respond? And he says this. He says, the first hearers of the Great Commission, fulfilled it by, and then I want to pause because I, I think as individuals and, and people that have been trained to think very individually, there's probably a temptation for us to think about the way that this w was carried out or responded to individually. But he says, uh, the first hearers of the Great Commission fulfilled it by planting churches. The best indication of what Jesus meant in the Great Commission can be found in how the original hearers responded. It, it's the first thing the disciples did when they responded to the commission of Jesus. They planted churches, and I think there's a lot in that which, which would testify to the fact that this is a team sport. This is not something that's to be done uh, just as individuals. The, the way that Jesus is trying and will accomplish his mission is to be fueled by the church. There's a reason Jesus developed right, the idea and the institution of church families, uh, local families of believers that are working together to make 
disciples. It's the mission of the church. It is a team sport. It's going to take uh, an entire family, an entire church if we're going to do this uh, well. Um, Number three, making disciples is relational. Okay, In our world, often we, we think of it as informational. We think of discipleship and we think of information. If I get the information, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I just don't think that's what the original hearers heard they, because they had Jesus uh, and, and the 12 disciples as their model. And so they're like, well, if we're going to make disciples, we should probably uh, do it the way Jesus did it. How did Jesus do it? Well, he invited some guys in, and they had a lot of time together in relationship where they shared a lot of meals, uh, they had a lot of wine, and they talked a lot about what does it mean to follow him. Some of you are like, that's what I've been doing. I've been missing the wine. Like it was, you just look at Jesus. Was the information involved? Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't like a classroom. It was, it, it was life relationships where he was teaching some people what it looks like to follow him. Uh, it's incredibly relational. Uh, to, there's probably a lot of reasons we could get into for why discipleship has to be very relational, not just informational. You can't just be a full disciple and make full disciples just with you and a book, right? Books are important. I love books. Nobody in the room loves books as much as me, maybe as much as me, not maybe more. But, but that's not, not, not all it is, right? It has to be very relational. Two things, uh, relationships, by, when we're talking about discipleship, uh, can be ways of encouragement and they can be accountability, okay? Uh, we need encouragement if we're going to be disciples and make disciples, uh, and we need some accountability. Uh, have you ever thought when Paul decided he's going to get serious about his role in the Great Commission, which meant what? Planting churches and, making, and using those churches to make disciples. Uh, he didn't take a note with him that said, when things got rough, he didn't pull out his nose. He's like, okay, oh, it says, uh, don't give up. What did he do? He took Barnabas. Why? Barnabas was probably more encouraging than a piece of paper would have been. Like, like to, to make disciples, like you, you need some actual relationships in your life of some people that are encouraging you. Uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And they encourage you when you get discouraged and when you fail and you mess up, they encourage you, hey, get back in the game. Let's be uh, disciples together. It's very, very relational because of encouragement and then also because of accountability. If we're going to uh, labor to obey everything Jesus told us, we're going to need some people in our lives that hold us accountable to that, right? We need some encouragement. We need some accountability. Uh, So discipleship is not just about information. It's about relationship. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 4 says this, uh, and we're going to jump into this a lot more in two weeks when we talk about what does it actually look like in small groups uh, to be serious about discipleship. Um, But for now, this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, uh, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man may prevail against one who is uh, alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. If we want to be disciples and make disciples, I think what the original hearers heard is they heard something that was very relational. And so we've got to think very relationally. Uh, we hear programs often, what kind of programs, and they heard people, right? There were, there were no conferences in the first century that we know of necessarily. There were a couple meetings that were privy to, but there were no uh, conferences. There was probably no uh, written discipleship material. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I think those things are good, but those things are often are supplementary to um, the relationships. If you were to ask me, 
which I've been a Christian now for 34-ish years, what has been some of the most impactful things on your journey following Jesus, being a disciple? Uh, I, I wouldn't start listing, you know, conferences I've been to, although they've been very helpful, I would probably just start listing a handful of people that have just revolutionized my life, have walked with me, have encouraged me, have held me accountable. Like, it's, programs have, have a place, and, and meetings have a place, but uh, they, they have a place inside of relationships. So this is just my short little encouragement for you inside at point number three. Uh, grab a person, grab one or two people, sit down with the Bible, read it, try to figure out how you can encourage each other to obey it. Right, that's the essence of discipleship. Right, number four, it involves learning. Making disciples involves learning. Jesus says, uh, go make disciples and teach them, which means give them information that they didn't have or help them understand something that they didn't understand. Okay? So like, if you want to be a disciple, like, and some of you are brand new Christians, you're like, I get this, I walk in, I don't know anything. I got a lot to learn. And those of us who have been following Jesus for decades, we realize, ah, I still got a lot to learn. Like there, there, there's a lot of teaching and information that is involved uh, if we're going to be disciples and make disciples. Uh, the the Bible's it's a big book, right? <laughs> we got a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of things for us to understand and to know. Uh, as disciples, it's 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 helpful for us to develop a lifelong attitude of a learner. Like I, I want to be, I want to learn everything I can about uh, what Jesus commanded, what's in the Bible, and what we've been invited to obey. Um, the Holy Spirit inside the church. Paul talks about this so much. He says the Holy Spirit actually gifts certain people with a, a gift and an ability to teach, which is a gift for discipleship. You know, there's some people that have just been gifted with an ability to make things simple, to make things clear, to connect some dots. Um, Paul says that those are valuable to the church, that they help us uh, as we're learning. Uh, we're trying to learn some things. So uh, it involves learning, but n- number five is incredibly important for us in the world that we live in. Making disciples aims at obedience, Okay, because a lot of times in our culture, we're just kind of obsessed with knowledge and with learning things. So we treat uh, just kind of point number four, uh, learning as the end all. Well, we just want to know a lot. That's not what Jesus said, right? He didn't say, okay, guys, everybody come, come on together. Uh, we've got some work to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Go. I want you to teach people to know stuff. Right? He's like, I want you to teach people to memorize some things and to understand. No, he's like, I want you to teach them to uh, observe is the word that is it's in the ESV, it's, it's observe. And it really means to keep or to obey. So it, we're, we're short-circuited in our discipleship if we're just simply trying to learn and understand things because the true life of the disciple comes alive when we, what? When we obey and when we keep and when we observe. But there's a lot of things, like th- that's hard, right? Knowing, knowing the Bible is it's so much easier than doing what it says, that's why you need some people in your life that encourage you, that hold you accountable, because the goal is not to know all the stuff Jesus said. There's a lot of people in the Western church and they just know a lot of stuff, but don't do a lot of stuff, don't observe a lot of stuff, don't obey uh, a lot of the stuff that Jesus said. So uh, here, just a few things to kind of give this uh, maybe some wheels as we move forward as disciples. Uh, we're not supposed to learn about repentance, right? We're supposed to learn about repentance and then repent when we sin, right? This is very different. You know, we all know some people that know a lot, probably haven't done a lot. Uh, we're not just supposed to learn about faith, but we're supposed to 
exercise our faith, put our faith someplace, like fight to put our faith uh, in Jesus and in his promises and his words. It is so easy, right, to learn about forgiveness. We could go through a class. I could give you a test. I could say, okay, now write down what forgiveness is. Oh, da, 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 that, that's, oh, that's way too easy. It doesn't even require the Holy Spirit to know what forgiveness is. What about forgiving someone who's betrayed you, who's left you, who's abandoned you, who stabbed you in the back? That's what disciples of Jesus are called to do. Not learn about forgiveness, but to forgive people when they hurt us, when they sin against us. Uh, We're not supposed to learn about hospitality. We're supposed to open our homes and invite people in, share a meal. Not supposed to learn about generosity. Uh, We're supposed to give our money away consistently, often, with a a smile on our face because uh, we want to be involved in giving and blessing people, whatever the need might be. It's so very different learning about uh, generosity and being generous. Uh, we're not called, and some of y'all know my story, when I was teaching a Bible study through the book of James uh, years ago in Dallas, uh, and I began like reading and memorizing this phrase, and uh, it's a verse in James, uh, says that pure and undefiled religion is this, uh, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself unspotted by the world. And I was like, boom, memorize that, time to move on. I was like, oh, wait a minute, I don't think the point of that was to memorize a verse about widows and orphans. The, the point of that was to try to find a widow or an orphan or whatever the, the person might be that's, that's in need of some help that has no one to look out for them, and I need to actually do something. It's very different to, to know that and to do that. And Jesus says, go make disciples by teaching them to observe or to obey. What about evangelism? I've, I've been there too, like did an entire class on evangel- evangelism, which is just sharing the, your faith, sharing the gospel, and then everybody in the class is like, yeah, we did it, what's our next study? It's like, well, that's not, the point is not to know what evangelism is, right? What's, what's the point? To tell somebody about Jesus, to actually evangelize, to actually share your faith. Uh, don't just learn about sexual purity, uh, fight for it, work for it, struggle towards it. It's so very different to understand uh, what God has called us to with sexual purity or to get with all of our might and community and and relationships and friends to work towards that. Uh, We don't just uh, learn about humility. Uh, We try to embrace humility. Uh, We don't learn about godly marriages. We're trying to work towards godly marriages, and we could do this all day. Uh, But what I'm saying is the the disciples are not people that have, have learned a lot of stuff, Right? That's a Pharisee, and we don't, we don't want to be Pharisees. What we want to be is disciples, and Jesus defines it this way. Who's a disciple? Somebody that's learning to obey. We hear something, we try to do it. We hear something, we try to do it. Do we ever get away from learning? No. But we need to have enough time in our lives. This is why a lot of times uh, the discussion in our small groups, uh, in our community groups, is the way it is because it's not just uh, another Bible study trying to learn something. It's trying to struggle through together in community. How do we obey what we just learned? And so we've got to have enough buffer uh, in our lives to not just learn things because that's way too easy. It's, it's being like Jesus that is more difficult, and that's what discipleship is about. There was a book years ago that I would recommend to you. It's called uh, Not a Fan. Uh, it's, it's, it's somebody that is trying to separate the idea of fans versus followers. 
okay? Jesus is not looking for a bunch of fans, right? What's a fan? Somebody that gets all excited. Uh, they know all the stats. They wear the jerseys. Some of y'all are Cowboys fans. Uh, some of y'all used to be Cowboys fans until they blew it again. You're like, maybe they'll get Aaron Rodgers. I keep seeing that. Who knows? But don't get your hopes up because they're going to blow it next year. You're, you're fans. Right? You're not on the team, but you know everything. You, you, you're involved. Like, uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a fan. There is something wrong with being a fan of the Cowboys, but just in general, maybe not. Anything wrong with being a fan, right? Uh, there's, there's way too many fans of Jesus. They're like, oh, we love Jesus. Oh, you know, we know everything about him. And we know what he told us to do. And we love, you know, cheering everything on. It's like, cool. Uh, you're supposed to get in the game and be like him and, like, carry out his mission on the planet. It's just very different being a fan of Jesus and being an actual follower. And in our culture, it's important to know there's a high, high cost to being a follower of Jesus. But that's the commission that he's given us. Number six, it's a lifelong journey. You know this. Until people are just constantly getting you confused with Jesus, we've got... We got work to do, right? And people are just all the time like, oh, just, I thought you were Jesus. The way that you act and the way that you respond. Like, until we are actually conformed to the image of the Son, we, we got some work to do. You, 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 I, I've got a lot of work to do. Some of you are like, we know, we know. Uh, it's, it's a lifelong journey. Um, I want to read. There's a, there's a book about discipleship that was written by uh, a man named Eugene Peterson, uh, who is the one who, who wrote uh, the message. It's, uh, it's a paraphrase uh, of the Bible. That's, uh, it's not a translation, but it's, it's, I think it's exceedingly helpful. He's a brilliant guy, very humble. And he wrote a book about discipleship. Uh, and uh, he finally, after being rejected a handful of times, got InterVarsity Press to uh, publish it. And so he shows up in Chicago uh, and everything is kind of ready to go, and he's just going to put the finishing touches on it. Uh, And this is what they say about the title that he had chosen. And the title that he had chosen for this book about discipleship was A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. They said, and I quote, this came from an interview uh, from him a couple years ago. They said, it's a great book, but you can't use that title. It's not lively title. Obedience. It's not a word that makes people jump up and down. So I said, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I think it's so awesome, you're going to get it for free anyways. Uh, So Eugene Peterson says, uh, look, it's not my title, it's uh, Nietzsche's title, which was a famous uh, German atheist in the mid-late 1800s that was the one that said God is dead and he'll be uh, gone uh, very, very soon. So he says, look, it's not my title, it's Nietzsche's title, and it's an iambic pentameter, it's a piece of poetry. And wouldn't you just love it if we got the title and if Nietzsche came back from the grave and saw that and thought, wow, somebody used this great sentence of mine for a book, and then he looks at it and then he realizes it's about God, who he thought was going to be buried 100 years ago, and so the scrim goes off his face. Anyway, I'm glad I disappointed him. This, the, I say all that to say that sometimes it, we, can, it can, like, try, we can try to be so flashy. It's like, listen, this is discipleship. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's trying to follow Jesus in the mundane things of life, day in and day out, for the rest of your life. And that has a propensity to change the world. <laughs> right? It's a lifelong journey. Number seven, making disciples involves every single Christian. I don't think the original hearers, the day on the mountain, heard that, and then we're like, okay, guys, uh, all of you full-time paid professionals, you guys, you go get it. 
Right? This is probably what they heard because of how they responded. They probably said something to the effect of, uh, let's, let's all get to work. Because they, they saw this as a commission for Christians. All right, so sometimes in our culture, uh, people aren't engaged in making disciples because we've maybe painted it as such a complex thing and such a difficult thing. Like, we got to leave that uh, to the professionals. Uh, that's not how Jesus has designed it. If you look through our history and through the, on, on, on the globe today, uh, where, where the, the gospel movement is just flourishing and expounding exponentially, what do you find out? Places like, like, like China, places like uh, Iraq, places where the gospel is just exploding, one of the factors is every Christian seems to be involved in discipleship. They see it as their, their job, their opportunity, their uh, responsibility. So this is what I would love uh, to, to see in us, you, is to, to see and to feel and to hear the great commission of Jesus and to know that you have a role to play. And for all of us, it's a two-way road, it's a two-way street. Until we die, uh, we need to find some people that can help us on our journey of being a disciple. And also, uh, would love to encourage you to think about who in your life can you step into their life and help them learn what it means to follow Jesus. Learn what it means to observe everything that he has commanded. Maybe, that ha- it just, maybe that's a very simple thing. You invite somebody in, they're struggling. Uh, and, and again, this is a two-way street, so uh, it's, sometimes it's hard to interject uh, yourself into someone else's life. Like, hey, I see you're struggling there a bit. <laughs> maybe I could help you out. So uh, this has to come a, a lot of times from a place of uh, us asking, like, hey, I, I don't know what I'm doing with my kids. I see you got some godly kids. Can we sit down and talk about it, and can you help me uh, observe what Jesus commanded about kids, about marriage, about singleness, about, about generosity, about the struggle with my work, whatever it may be? Just invite somebody in. It's so much simpler than we make it out to be. But every Christian needs to be involved in this, in being a disciple and in making disciples. So here is the, the question that I would pose to you to fit this nicely into this sermon series that we were doing, what if? What would happen in your life, in our church, in this city, if every Christian at Redeemer saw themselves as a disciple maker? What, what, what would change? Those who are struggling and just brand new to the Bible, they open it up and they're just so intimidated because it's big and it's confusing and they need somebody to help them learn to to, to read it and to obey it. Uh, Maybe it has to do with some type of struggle or sin or like on our journey to try to obey everything Jesus commanded us, what would it look like if every Christian at Redeemer helped to make disciples? Everyone was growing and everyone was helping someone else grow. And I really, quite honestly, we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to answer that for us and to tell each one of us uh, what it is that we need to do. So let me invite you where you're at to bow your head, to close your eyes. Let's pray towards that end um, together. Uh, our Father, uh, I have read this text so many times, and every time I read it, I see something new. And Father, for your people here at Redeemer, for this church family, that I, I know them and I love them and I'm so grateful for them. Father, we pray that your spirit would help us to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God through Christ. God, for those who are just kind of uh, new to this and wandering around alone, I pray that you would help them to find a relationship, someone that can help them uh, see what it looks like to follow Jesus. God, I pray that you'd give us um, 
just the ability to reach out and to, to, to grab some people on our journey and to take them with us. Father, I pray that conversations would be candid and helpful and uh, just help us each one. We're at different places in this journey, uh, but God, we pray that we're all making progress and we're all being conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God in our city. God, help us truly to know what it means to make disciples and to be disciples uh, since that's the commission that you've given us. Father, we need your spirit. We need your power. We need your presence in order to do this. So we invite you uh, to shape us. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for Jesus. And we pray this through him and in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.